But anyway, good evening and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. And I just want to thank you for coming tonight. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, thanks for coming tonight. You encouraged me by being here. It's fantastic that you're here. And uh, for those who connect with us on the Podbean podcast, now all around Australia and sometimes beyond, a big welcome to you and our church family. Welcome into our house. And uh, whether you're sitting in this church family church or taking an early morning stroll. My mum listens to these messages every time she goes for a stroll. Um, perhaps you're at the gym with the headphones in. And, but welcome, welcome. I pray that you'll be thoroughly encouraged in your faith, that you'll be edified, which means to be charged in your spirit and strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. Paul talks about being strengthened in the inner man. And that's the purpose of the gospel. It strengthens us and gives us a backbone, tenacity and endurance for the day in which we live. I, um, I'd like if you would turn to one of the most impacting books in the Bible, and it's the book of Philippians, and to start at uh, chapter 1, and <coughs> this letter to the Philippian church, comprising of only 2,002 words over four chapters, it's a small letter, and a book in comparison to so many others, but it is a book that punches far above its weight. Amen? If somebody punches above the weight, it means they're a powerhouse. And the book of Philippians is exactly like that. And you too will punch far above your weight in life when you make its revelations yours today. The gospel is to be personalised, like the person of Jesus Christ is to be personalised. And uh, there was a saying there, it says... Though she be but little, she is fierce. And that was a quote in the, in the, in the, in the movie Seabiscuit. And it was referencing a quote from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream with one of the young ladies. Though she be, be little, she be but fierce. And the book of Philippians is like that. It's a small book, 2,002 words, four chapters, but it packs a punch. And you'll find that most of some of your favorite verses of Scripture actually come out of Paul's book of Philippians. And so it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, which was established by Paul. And it was established by Paul after the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from further preaching the word in Asia. And it says the Holy Spirit stopped him from preaching or going into Asia. And he went on to Troas, which is the ancient city of Troy, along the uh, western coast of modern-day Turkey. And uh, in the night, Paul had a vision. And in that vision, he saw a man from Macedonia stood over and pleaded with him, and he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Who recalls that? And so that's in the book of Acts. But isn't it incredible that God would then stop him from preaching in Asia, which was a great work to do, to go and do another work? And that's why we always need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying because there's so many good things that we can do, but there is a God thing and there is a perfect thing to do. And God has a plan and a purpose, a time and a topos, a time and a place. Paul and Silas immediately, it says, crossed the Aegean Sea, landed at a seaport called Neapolis, and they went to the Philippi, which is an inland town, which is not far away, and there they established the first church on the European continent. That was Philippi. 
And so the first church that was established in Europe was this church. And now Paul is writing to this church, which he had great affection for, because they were like a first fruits on the European continent. And so this book is commonly known as God's book of contentment, which comes not by accident, but by decision. The book of Philippians is a book of contentment by decision. Some people feel fantastic at times. When the weather is good, they feel good. When the weather is raining, they don't feel so good. But Paul is telling the people in this Philippian church that contentment and joy and rejoicing is a decision of the internal, not as a result of, of the manifestation of the external. So many times during the course of our day, we're governed by how we feel by the events that occurred during the day. In its simplest form, Christian joy is independent of outward conditions. Can I get an amen in the house today? I'll encourage you, but you've got to encourage me, amen? You draw on me and I'll give it to you, amen? And so Paul was able to write in Philippians 1.18, And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. In other words, he made a decision to rejoice. In other words, I remember, and I've stated many times, that sometimes I've been in the shower and in the midst of tremendous chaos over the years, but I made a decision, I do not care what happens to me, Lord, nothing will stop me from praising you, amen? And we can let our joy be dictated to by the course of our day, or we can have a contentment in Christ, and uh, it's a better way to live. And so in regards to contentment, before I start reading Philippians 1, I'd like for you, in the, just in this moment, and for those who are listening online, if you're driving in the car, don't close your eyes, but close your eyes right now here, and I just want you to picture something for me. I'm thinking about a really, really beautiful, contented scene. I'm thinking about beautiful tranquility involving water. And in this contented scene, in your mind's eye, what do you see right now? Just open your eyes just now. Sometimes many people, when they're thinking about a tranquil, contented scene involving water, they see a pond without a ripple or disturbance. Not a thing, not a ripple. But really in the course of life, that is an unrealistic picture of peace or contentment in the midst of life's circumstances, isn't it? In fact, that picture really is lifeless. That pond which we're looking at, although having not a ripple in it, could be stagnant. There's nothing flowing into it, and there's nothing flowing out of it. And, though, and although it may have the capacity to reflect your face, it doesn't really reflect life. I'd like now to imagine God's peace as you and I would experience it. Picture a great waterfall now with immense water crashing over the, and in, over the rocks into the depths below. Billows of water, vapor rising and the sound deafening to the ears. Underneath all the tumultuous water bursting over those rocks and so forth, there's a jutting rock, 
and a small bird finds refuge and is even able to build a nest to raise her young underneath the rock, underneath billows and billows, thousands of tons of roaring water above. And because of the location, predators are non-existent and due to that micro-environment, insects and provision are in more than adequate supply. And underneath the rock, in that huge amount of water, which would sweep a man away in the midst in a second, a beautiful bird is able to live in contentment and peace. And that's a picture I got many, many years ago of God's contentment in life. In the midst of everything that is going on all around us, you and I are under the rock Christ Jesus. And under that rock, doesn't matter what's going on above, there is provision, a place where you can raise your family and loved ones in perfect peace. It's a good picture, isn't it? It's a good picture. So where do you stand on the Richter scale with maintaining your joy level, your contentment and rejoicing level, and your peace level in the midst of life? When things happen, who do we run to? Who do we ring? Joyce Meyer said, go to the throne and not to the phone. But we often do that, don't we? Because we love to have support of loved ones around us. And that's what they're there for. Christian maturity is often demonstrated most by the contentment we walk in the midst of turmoil. I recall just, it comes to mind now, that John Wesley realised he didn't have a secure faith in Christ. Even though he'd done this amazing theological degree, he could speak in Latin fluently as he could English. He could speak Greek and he could speak Hebrew. He could do all these amazing things. When he crossed the Atlantic to go and save the heathen in America, in the midst of a storm, he realized he was fearing for his life. And he looked at the Moravian believers there. And it was like a grassroots Christianity group from Germany. And here they were sung, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And they were surrounded by a tremendous peace and contentment. And he knew that they had something which he didn't. And that something was Christ. And so you and I rejoice, said Paul. He said he was speaking to himself as well. He said rejoice. And again I say rejoice. He was pepping himself up, I think, at the same time. So can I ask you today, do you ever find yourself saying, I'll be happy when I finish school. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. I'll be happy when I win the lotto. That's what just about every second person says. Oh, sorry, there's hardly a person who doesn't say that. I've not put a lotto in for about 30-odd years. But, but when I have children, when my children are finished with nappies, when I get a new car or when the renovations are finished, says the wife, I'll be happy. I couldn't blame her, all the gyprock dust and powder around the house. But what Paul writes to this Philippian church is that this ought not to be so. God wants us to be more resilient than that. And if there was ever a time that Christians need to be resilient, it is now. Because the forces of hell are being unleashed upon the earth, and I believe there's a polarization in the spirit realm, and the grey area of life is being emptied out as people have been called to make a choice to serve God or not to serve God. And so no longer being motivated by what I see as a believer, we're no longer swayed by our emotions, 
external situations and circumstances should not affect our inward or spiritual life. Easier said than done, isn't it? But that is what Paul is advocating in this book of Philippians. And so the past also not affecting our future or dictating our future, that's a good one as well. So he presses on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But tonight with direct reference to the Word of God and specifically to this book of contentment, I'd like to share now just a couple of thoughts. It's hard to do comprehensively anything in, an, in uh, half an hour or so. So we'll just touch on some things. So in the four chapters, 2,002 words, there's some main themes repeated over and over in this book of Philippians. And uh, Paul even explains that. He says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And so he mentions things over and over and over again. And uh, so I'll just read the first couple of verses there just to set the scene a little bit. And it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this amazing book of contentment while he was in a Roman prison, while he was chained to the wall. Amazing, isn't it? He was chained in a miserable dungeon and provision for food and water and all those sort of things, fresh clothing, that was only given by friends who were able to get access into the prison. And so it says, in addition to that, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And so initially here, when we could read or gloss over this verse very, very quickly, but Paul is saying here our identity, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Our identity here is not in the fact that you may be a deacon. Our identity is not in the fact that you may be a bishop or a person of position or power or influence or money or any other such things. He says he didn't even refer to them as in people who were from Philippi. The initial identification, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And there is our identification in all things. We are not citizens of this world. Paul goes, that's exactly right, isn't it? Our citizenship is not in heaven. He says, whether there be Greek, nor Hebrew, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. My identity is not being an Aussie guy from Dutch descent. My identity is not being an indigenous person or any such thing. My identity is not in my job. It says, but my identity here is to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And I believe this is really the hallmark of this entire book. Although it mentions the word rejoice and rejoicing 16 times, do you know that this book mentions the name of Christ and reference to Christ over 50 times? And often it's not even found in your notes. You see, the reason that Paul had contentment in all these things was that he was in Christ. Amen? And that is a big, big thing. A big thing. And so, also in addition to that, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I'll, I'll go grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul opens every single one of his letters with a si similar signature or a uh, in all 13 of the letters and also closes with a similar salutation. Grace to you and 
Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, except for the book of Hebrews. So we know firmly that Paul wrote 13 of the books and possibly Hebrews, but all 13 of those books start with that grace salutation. And so uh, it goes on today, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. There it is, the first mention of joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so it speaks of progressing in God. And there is many references throughout the whole book of progressing in God. More than five or six, I believe. And so Paul's signature in every introduction and concluding remarks is grace to you, which means a God-given ability, a divine power that comes upon us to accomplish everything that we have been called to do. In addition to that, he says, I'm a bondservant. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. And uh, there are many, many references of him being chained as in, uh, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. And so there, here he is, Paul was actually chained to the walls of his prison, to the wall and to the floor. And, uh, and in addition to that, in uh, chapter 2, he uh, references himself as like a bondservant of Jesus Christ, referencing that Jesus himself came as a bondservant to humanity. So he, he identifies himself with Christ as being a bondservant. And so, as Christ made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. That's in uh, Philippians 2.7. And so... And so here we say rejoice, joy and rejoice mentioned 16 times in four chapters. Joy and rejoicing. I could go through those 16 references, but uh, for the sake of time, I will not. There is also a couple of uh, uh, references to having someone as a pattern. Or, and it's good. And I, and I think you cannot have a pattern sitting at home with godly fellowship with this new trinity that's come about after covid me, God, and YouTube. <laughs> and people have stopped fellowshipping by and large. Living in the town, access to the body of Christ, access to good fellowship. And so here we see this new, new trinity called me, God, and YouTube. And I can listen to all the great... Uh, but who shepherds people? Where, where is the accountability in stopping fellowship with other people? And, so, and it says, all the more as you see the day, day approaching, don't stop fellowshipping. Because we know then in all the last times chapters of the Bible, Matthew 24, Luke 21 and Mark 13, they all begin, take heed that no one deceive you. So deception will be the greatest enemy of the church in these last days. And the greatest thing, I think one of the greatest safeguards is being in close, good godly fellowship with gospel-believing, Bible-preaching, Holy Spirit-led people. Amen? It's a great safeguard for us all. And, um, and so here we're talking about progress now, and there's many references to continuing the work of God. Uh, Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And there's one of the references there. Amen? 
Being confident of this, one Philippians 1.25, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Paul was really, really keen. I love the way that Paul ministers in these days, and he prayed for this church. He, uh, he was in constant contact with this church, and being a tremendous apostle, he didn't subcontract the looking after this church to someone else. He prayed for this. You know, that's, a, that's what you see about leadership these days. They very quickly pass things on to somebody else. Paul never did that. He identified with them. He built that church, and he never lost contact with that church. He remained in contact. He con- constantly prayed for them and visited them. He never was uh, at a distance from them in the spirit. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Progress. Uh, Philippians 3.12, not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I press on. Progress. He's speaking about progress here. Verse 13 and 14 say the same thing. Forgetting the past and press on to the future. Do not, and I say, do not allow the rear vision mirror to be bigger than the future that lies overhead. And that's the truth. I use that uh, analogy often. And uh, so we continually look forward. I mean, we continually progress in the things of God. And I think it's one of the saddest things that I see in Christian circles. Christians become civilized and they, and they seem to somehow be content where they are in God. They're content where they are with what's going on. They're content with their prayer life. They're content with... Uh, their study, they're content with every area of their life, but I believe there should be, if they're going to be uncontent, be uncontent whether you are with God, because there is always more. There is always a pressing in. There is always a working through. There is always fastings and breakthrough. If not for yourself, for the church. If not for the church, for those, for your loved ones. Pressing in for those things. And for it is God who works in you both to will and to do. When God is constantly working, it means that there is a a progress there. So in addition to that, I'd I'd like to, uh, when speaking of any of Paul's ministry, it's hard not to mention some of the pressures that people go through when they're on fire with God. And when you're on fire with God, uh, pressures that come around our life is not evidence of sin in your life, as other people say. Oh, he's got sin in his life, as Job's three friends pointed out to him very, very quickly. Their best counsel was, was when they were quiet for the first seven days. When they opened their mouth, that was the end of the good counsel. And they basically said to him, Oh, because there's sin in your life, this pressure and these bad things have come. Many people will say that. And when you, but I have found when you press into God... You're at the pointy end of the spiritual arrow, and you will get a hit or two. Amen? Can I have an amen in the house? Can anybody identify with that? It's true. If you go full on with God, perhaps if you're not full on, you'll never get a hit by the devil because you're just doing just fine. But when you go full on with God, you will encounter opposition. If you've never encountered spiritual opposition, it will often most signify that you're not pressing into God the way that he would have you be. And so... uh, but in uh, Philippians 1, 12 and 14, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Amen? His chains came about because he was pressing into God. But God turns all those things out for good because everybody finds out why he's pressing in because, because of the pressure that's come upon his life. Amen? 
being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 1.25, continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Wow, look at this. Tane is on the ball with these scriptures, isn't he? He is doing a marvelous job. Thank you, Tane. And um, what about this, the ability to learn? Have you stopped learning in the things of God? Have we become a, a, a person who knows just about everything? Well, you're in a dangerous position. I have found that the more that I know about God, the more I realize that I don't know. I've got some, something like 36 or 39 Bibles now, and I just can't get enough. And there's a whole lot more that I want to get because I realize that God has more for us. Amen? More for us. And he says, in, and uh, Paul said in, the, in the Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then we come across this great scripture, which you all know. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Man, fantastic. And so many of the keys of contentment are found throughout this letter to the Philippians, but a concentrated form to, resh uh, to reshape your future lies in chapter 4. And uh, let's go there just briefly. And uh, Philippians 4, 8. And it says, Yet I in yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The King James Version calls it a little bit more abrupt. It says, I count it all as dung. That's what it says. I count all these things as dung. And uh, chapter 3, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, uh, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is the key, really, to contentment, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It's not a book just about joy and rejoicing because the source of all that joy, all that contentment, whether I abound or I have nothing, whether I'm in need, whether I'm in want, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm thirsty, it makes no difference that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Amen? Fantastic scriptures. There are so many gems in this little book of Philippians. Read the book of Philippians. I, I encourage you to read it about 20 or 30 times. There was a time when I basically knew the book of Philippians off by heart. And uh, you can learn it off by heart too. It's, it's quite a doable thing. And so... Moving, uh, moving along right now, there is also, uh, Paul speaks on eight separate references of being in unity and like-minded, speaking of the body of Christ. And so being like-minded with them um, and uh, was one of the reasons why he was able to uh, instill uh, even contentment in the Philippian church. The Philippian church was well-loved by Paul but it still had doctrinal issues. There were heresy issues to confront. There was, uh, at times, there might have been disunity because he references being 
in unity and like-minded eight times to this church in, in Philippi. Eight times he mentions it. So it must have been an issue. So having issues in a church is okay. We work through that. There is no such thing as a perfect church. We are a work under construction and we progress. We go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, says Proverbs. And so just to say, oh, there's problems in that church. Well, the church is a church, amen? In addition to that, and I'd like to address that right now, I was a member of Rotary. I was a, oh, I was a president of Rotary, I think, when I was 25 years old. I was involved in lots of community organization, Rotary and Rotaract and all those sort of things. And, but I have found in all those organizations, a lot of things don't happen there, which actually happen in a church. And you think, how could that be? And the reason is very, very simple. Rotary, the Lions Club and other community service organizations, they don't have a devil to contend with so much. But the church has a devil, amen? The church, uh, it says there's tares amongst the wheat. And the devil doesn't always oppose the church, but he joins the church, amen? He'll join your committees. He'll get in on your working bees. The devil gets in on people, often good people at times. The devil's got on my case at times, and I could be an obstruction to the pastor. Why? I came with the wrong spirit. But when we come to build the temple, we need the spirit of the temple. But sometimes you and I all can come with the wrong spirit. We can be angry. We can be despondent. We can bring a bad report like the 12 spies. Of the 12 spies, there were 10 who came in with a false report or a bad report. And we can all gather and operate out of negativity and despondency, disappointments and discouragements. And hurt people often hurt other people. And the devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. And he opposes, he hates you, and he hates the congregation, the called out ones called the ecclesia and the church. So when you see things happening in the church, let's not shoot the wounded, but let's get around one another, encourage one another, and build one another up in our most holy faith. And don't play along. The devil feeds off the dust of the earth. He's been doing it since the Garden of Eden. He started off as the serpent of old, but in the book of Revelations, he's now the great dragon. How does he get bigger? By feeding off the dust of the earth. He hates us, and he hates the church. And so things, odd, odd things can happen in church situations, but we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we begin to pray into those situations. And if things are not perfect, we just begin to pray. Be the answer, not an addition to the problem. Amen? And so, with all these repeated references over and over and over again, I'll just go back to uh, uh, Philippians chapter 1 there. I'll breeze through a few verses there and then finish up. And uh, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. This is Paul, the beloved apostle, apostle looking after and cherishing his first fruits church, church. And he's an absolute gem of a great apostle, looking after the welfare of others. And he says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. What a key for us, for contentment to be without offense. The Bible says a wise man will not take offense. That's what a wise person does. 
And it's so easy. It's almost like a national pastime to walk around to see if I can get offended by something. Turn on the TV and see if I can be offended by something. Look at a sign. Look at somebody's dress code. And, oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm thinking, oh, gosh, give that man a medal. He's only the tenth for the day that I've talked to. I'm offended about this and I'm offended about that. Paul says, don't take offense. Don't do it. Caesar, it takes a big person to walk away and not be, take offense. And just say, the guy's having a bad day. I'll leave it at that. Walk away. Don't try and understand everything. We are not going to do that. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the first fruits of righteousness. Our righteousness or is by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'll go on from there to um, verse 15, and I'll touch on a point here in this book here. And it says, Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, but the later out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. This is Paul's answer when he saw people preaching the word of God in a manner that he possibly didn't really like so much. He said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice and will rejoice. There are a lot of people who don't travel in the same lane as you in regard to the Christian faith. I was disappointed to watch on YouTube a, a man I greatly respect, one of the world's greatest evangelists, and he was pulling down another ministry and a move of God. And, and I thought he really didn't, it didn't become of him to do that. And I thought he should have just left it alone. These people traveled in a different lane to him. But they were doing the word of God. And they were carrying out the great commission in the way that they saw fit. And I could see it was genuine. He too was in a lane. He's in an evangelistic lane. And he attracts tremendous a world, um, a world viewership, and he did fantastic work. And so we're not to judge other people's work of Christ. And here uh, Paul does the same. He says, whether in pretense or in truth, he says, I just rejoiced that Christ was preached. Amen? Amen? And so reserve your opinion in regard to other people's ministry. Sometimes just keep your mouth shut. And that's not so easy sometimes, particularly for someone like myself. But for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Who supplies the Spirit? Jesus Christ. Amen. The centrality of this gospel message in Philippians, 2,002 words, but over 50 references to the person of Jesus Christ. It's ultimately not about rejoicing. It's ultimately not about contentment. It's not about, ultimately it's not about unity or progressing in the faith. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This book was written to the Philippian church to thank them for their offering that came Paul's way. Because they always supplied Paul's needs, whether he was in town or whether he was ministering down in Athens or somewhere else. This book is about the centrality of Christ. And that is the root of all your contentment. It's a beautiful message. And... Um, Christ was not part of Paul's life. Christ was his life. Christ is not part of your life. He is your life. He is not a slice of the apple pie. He is the apple pie. Amen? Not part of your life. He is everything. 
He was a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He wasn't chained by imperial Rome. He said, I'm a bond I'm bondservant. I'm chained to the gospel. He says, though I be chained, he said, the gospel will never be chained. Chains were, his chains were in Christ. He says, good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He said, go on, in another place, Christ will be magnified in my body. In another place, hearing the same thing, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He didn't care. He didn't care. He said, I could stay here and be a minister and, and you'll be beneficent and you'll be a beneficiary of that. Or I could die tomorrow and be in Christ. I really don't care. And that's how we should be. Rejoicing more abundant in Jesus Christ. And another place is, is your conduct should be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Worthy of the gospel to believe in Christ, to suffer for Christ, righteousness through Christ, and the supply of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. His identity is in Christ. And uh, I'd like if you just go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to show you something here. And it's all out in the open. And in this gospel, you'll see more than 13 times mentioned in 13 verses. It speaks about being, this is written by Paul again, to the church in Ephesus, which of course is in modern day Turkey. And in 13 verses, it mentions being in Christ, in whom, in him, in whom, 13 times. Amazing, eh? In 13 verses. In Christ, in him, in whom. When you go through the book of Colossians, which is Paul's letter to the Colossian church in Colossae, and says it talks about being in Christ, in whom, by him, through him, and for him, over and over and over again. So here we see it's all out in the open, being in Christ, in him, and in whom. But in the, Philippian, but in the letters to the Philippians, it's concealed. In Colossians and Ephesians, being in Christ is totally revealed, but in Philippians, it's concealed. But when you read it a little bit more closely, and I encourage you to dig into the Word, read it, meditate upon it, think about it over and over and over again. It's a beautiful book. It is a beautiful book. I'd like to go to, uh, in closing now, as Jules comes to the keys... In Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, it talks about the things what we set our minds on. Contentment. I have found that meditating on the things of YouTube will not bring contentment to you. Although you might find out what's going on in this nation and that nation, what this government is doing and what that government is doing, what they are now making, legalizing this and legalizing that. I have found, although they may be saying what is happening in the earth today, generally it is a report of what the devil is doing. When I turn on the ABC, which is anything but Christ, it's giving us a report on what the devil is doing today. But here is what Paul says. I'll go to verse 6, sorry. Be anxious, and you'll know this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, that's the shalom, peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
finally, brethren, do you want to harness your thought life? Do you want to harness your emotions? Let's listen to this, what Paul says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, you won't get that on the ABC, and you will not get that on SBS. And in a lot of ways, you won't get it on YouTube or any other channel. You won't get it in most books. You won't get it in any magazines. There is only one book that I know that you can get truth. Because the Bible is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything, or if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate upon these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. It's beautiful, isn't it? Amen. I'd like to round up with that. There's so much more in this mighty book of Philippians. As I said, it's a book that really punches above its weight. There's a lot in here. But if you want a quick fix, a quick pick-me-up, some quick direction on how to live your life, your thought life, what to think about, what to meditate upon, quickly forgive. There's so many things all in this wonderful book, and I've just touched on just a few. But the answer is being in Christ, in Him, in whom. That's where contentment comes. That's where contentment comes. And it says, Jesus, uh, there is therefore now, what about Romans 8, 1? There is therefore now con no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What about 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Paul again writes, therefore, if anyone, anyone, there's no discrimination there. It's an inclusive gospel. There is nothing there for the frozen chosen or somebody like that. Or just for the elite. It's for everybody. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, that's you and I. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old is gone. The new has come. There is so much talk these days about equity and equity of opportunity. But the gospel doesn't restrict in any way, shape or form. The cross is the great leveler. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ is the great Savior. Amen. Christ is the great Savior. There are some people listening online uh, tonight. And you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to say a prayer right now. And these people here are going to repeat with me. And uh, if you want to know Jesus. You'll, you'll get to know the Prince of Peace. Contentment will finally become yours. And that burden of sin on your life will be lifted off. And you'll begin and you'll be given a brand new life. And the cross puts an end to the past and gives you a brand new future in Christ Jesus. I pray that you repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, nice and loud. Dear Lord Jesus. I come to you now. I come to you now. Forgive me, Lord God, of my sin. Forgive me, Lord God, of all my I sin. I repent deeply. I thank you, Lord, right now that I am washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, right now that I'm washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 
Jesus, I invite you and the Holy Spirit into my life now. Jesus, I invite you and the Holy Spirit into my life now. I thank you that I am born again of the Spirit of the living God. I thank you that I am born again of the Spirit of the living God. We're going to close right now with a beautiful song. It's an old song and Jules will introduce it. But I thank you everybody for coming tonight. I'll just close in prayer while we finish with this worship song. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray heaven's richest blessing over those who have come tonight. Those who are listening online, I pray the Spirit of God. There is no distance in the spirit realm. And I pray, let the peace of heaven touch you. Let the peace of heaven touch your family. And let the peace of God touch your loved ones in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, as the gospel goes out, Father God, it will not return to your void but shall accomplish that which you please and it shall prosper in the thing for which it was sent. I pray, let that peace of heaven which surpasses and transcends all understanding right now guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.